Hi, welcome to another episode of Pitch. I'm Leah St. Marie. And I'm Angel. And today we have a very special guest that we both know, a Native American emerging filmmaker, Eagle Smith. Welcome, Eagle. Hi, thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Coming at us from, are you in Washington State? Yeah, I'm in Tacoma, Washington. Nice. Is it beautiful there right now? Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm personally partial to the rain. I wish it would rain a little bit more right now, but yeah. Same. <laughs> uh, but it's sunshiny and rainbows and our parents just put up the pool. So that's one thing that we've got going on today is we're going to jump in the pool later. Oh, so uh, permanent invite for Angel and I to come yeah. get some rainbows and swim, right? Hop on over. <laughs> now are you from um the Tacoma Washington area originally or what's your what's your like background a little bit? Well, I'm actually from a small fishing village in Alaska called Medlakatla. Okay. And that's where I that's where I spent the first part of my childhood and then the rest of my summers until I was 18. Uh but I grew up in the Federal Way area which is where I went to high school. And in high school I was part of a television production program called TJTV. I read about this because you sent me your bio and then I was like doing some uh, investigative stuff online about you. And I just want our audience to hear this number. How many short films did you do? I made over 60 shorts in two years. Through this program? Through this program. I spent, I would, and you know, a lot of it was once I had the camera in hand and access to an editing software, uh, you couldn't stop me. I was just <laughs> making, I was just making stuff just to make stuff. Most of the, I would say like maybe 15 videos out of the 60 that I made got used, but I, I was just out there filming, making little music videos, making little shorts, making like whatever I could think of. I was just making what I could think to make. And it's funny because we just had a high school reunion and some of the some none of my videos made it to any of these people's like <sighs> personal saved portfolios. But they posted in our group um, some of the old TJTV videos and it just it brought me back, mm. brought me back to those days of walking around campus, filming things and putting stuff to music. What do you think doing so many short films um, so young did for your filmmaking education? You know, it really made me learn to work with what you have. So I'm, I guess, coming out of that, we're in pre-production for a feature right now. And I'm really glad to have someone else on board who also wants to work with just what we have because we just want to get something made. And we want to do a good job with it. Um, but we're fans of you have what you have in front of you and that's it. You got to make it work. Um, so I think that it gave me the kind of gumption to say I'm the short film that I made. I had a budget of $216 and I made that short film on a broken iPhone I shot it and edited it on a broken iPhone and it actually turned out really good except for one issue, which is with the sound for like part of the clip and um, my partner is working on editing that. But 
like we ended up getting a great short film out of that just because of ire and gumption and saying, okay, this is what I have. It's going to take me this much time. That's fine. Uh, that's really inspiring. It's It reminds me of, I was watching a Jodie Foster uh, masterclass video and she said, now is always the right time to be a director. And I think it hit me because she's a queer female director and everybody else my whole life have been saying like, now is always the right time. Just go and do it. But it took, it took her to say it in that class. Um, transitioning. I want to say I was looking at your, your different Twitter posts. And one of the ones that hit me real strong was you're talking about Hollywood's fantasy of natives and how you're advocating so do you want to talk a little bit about what that means to you and how you're advocating um, against it? Yeah, um, I first want to say before I get into it that I'm really happy with seeing Native Americans have more opportunity for the hundred plus years of Hollywood. We've kind of just been off to the side and forgotten about. And even in regular daily life, I've had people tell me literally, oh, I forgot Native Americans exist. So to have, yeah, I know. No, Um, people have actually said that to you. People, I've had more than one person say this to me. I've had at least six or seven people say this to me. And a lot of it is because I'm so ethnically ambiguous and like, most people's first thought is either Filipino or Mexican and to which I say, Hey, thanks for the compliment. Um, but no, I'm Alaskan native. And then like at least six or seven people have literally said that to me. So, um, we're still here and I'm loving seeing things like reservation dogs, Rutherford falls, unfortunately just got canceled, but Rutherford falls was such a good show. And, um, you know, killers of the flower moon is, like a big movie Martin Scorsese just made that debuted at Cannes. So I'm happy to see these things. But when it comes to casting, we have issues like um, Kelsey as Beale, who was cast in Yellowstone to play a major Native American character, and she's Cambodian and British. And she gets this role, which, you know... I don't have a problem. It's not actually, I do have a problem with casting non-natives as native, but my bigger problem is with lying about your race to take a native role. But she's such a beautiful girl, you see. And she looks like what some non-native wants to fetishize a native Mm -hmm. American woman to look like. And that's one of the reasons why she gets this role. So we run into women are placed on this. If you don't look like a fetish, then you're not going to get cast. And men are placed in this. You can just like men across the industry for any race, you can look like whatever, but you're going to be the sidekick to the white savior. And it's all a fantasy. Native Americans, except for reservation dogs right Mm -hmm. now, And I haven't seen, of course, Killers of the Flower Moon. I have high hopes for this feature. Um, 
except for reservation dogs, Native Americans are being put up. You can only play this if you play into the fantasy that non-Natives are creating for their projects. Instead of casting us as we are, if you go to a reservation, Native American women are all shapes and sizes. And guess what? I clean up. I I get I can get phone numbers all day long. When you go to the res, like I'm not a thin woman, but I'm a beautiful woman to somebody. And Native women look like me. Mm-hmm. You know, so I and like on a personal level, it sucks to miss out on so much opportunity because I don't look like the non-natives version of a Native American. They have it in their head. This is what natives look like. This is what natives sound like. This is what natives do. But there are 574 tribes and the culture in Native America is just vastly different than the culture that's been perpetuated by non-Native media. So, yeah. And I have, bumping up against that is also money, as it always is. Like, if you Mm -hmm. want representation, it is difficult because you're coming across fellowships that only take place in LA, contests that cost you at least $100 to enter, and then flying to a festival, all of that is money. And you're asking like, well, why aren't there more uh, indigenous people being represented? Well, you're making it harder for us or, you know, for, for you, right? You're making it harder for a certain class of people to be able to break into the industry because you're putting up door after door after door. The biggest door that we run into is there's quote unquote, no demographic for natives. But my counter argument to that is actually, if you think about it, Native American is probably the biggest demographic. How many people I've met in my life have told me, oh, my grandmother is Native American. My great grandmother is Native American. My great great grandfather is Native American. Every the history of this country is just such that so many people you run into on a daily basis are part Native American. So to say that there's no demographic for Natives, actually there's a reason that a show like Reservation Dogs is so successful and just got their primetime slot is because people are honestly interested in that part of their heritage, as small as it may be to them, that's something interesting to them. That's something they can explore and live in. How can non-Native filmmakers um, make sure if they want to include Native characters in their stories or tell stories concerning Native or Indigenous people that they're honoring the various tribes while also staying beholden to the part of the audience in America that isn't Native necessarily? What What's the like solution? Because Martin Scorsese... I don't know his complete genealogy, but he's got this film coming out and there's been a lot of like positive buzz about it. So I just want to see in your opinion, how do people who are like non-native handle this? Is it consulting? Is it um, bringing people on board who are in the community? Yeah, um, that's part of it. So one thing that Martin Scorsese did right was he had two consultants from the Osage tribe and they worked with the Osage people throughout the process from pre-production to the finishing touches. So the Osage people were a major part of this process. Even though the main characters that were cast were not Osage, which in personal opinion, I think would have been the most ideal situation. But 
that's another brick wall I don't want natives to face. So it would have been ideal to have Osage character, Osage people play Osage characters. At the same time, opportunity is so limited for Native Americans that we're just not there yet to exclude people from another tribe just because they're not part of the tribe being depicted. Um, which is unfortunately some of the process that is happening uh, on other projects. I'm not going to name because I'm not trying to, you know, cast a yuck on other people's yum. Uh, anyways, um, so consulting is part of it. The other part is to actually visit the tribe that you're depicting. Um, there's a third part to this and I'll get to that in just a moment, but visit the tribe, go to that community, take away, take off the lens of the white patriarchal version of what you want Native Americans to look like and go to the tribe and see what those people look like. See what those people sound like. See what those people practice in their daily traditions and cultures. And it doesn't have to just be on the res. City natives make up 75% of the Native American population. So don't exclude the people who are off of the reservation and still like live in mainstream culture with you know their roots attached to them um and then the third part is stop excluding tribes the if you're going to focus on a native american um content think outside of the box and depict a tribe that hasn't been featured yet my tribe has never ever people don't even hear of simshian People, they hear of Clinkett, which got one small mention in the movie, The Proposal. <laughs> Betty White played a quarter native Clinkett, which if that. there was going to be a non-native, I'm all for Betty White. She can play non-native. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but think outside of the box and depict a tribe that doesn't get any traction because we're with our voices. As you mentioned earlier, Leah, it's hard breaking in this industry for anybody. But yeah. for natives, it's definitely, we face brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And to alleviate some of those brick walls is to give acknowledgement to the fact that there's more than just seven or eight tribes. So those are my three points is like, Martin Scorsese did it right with Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, go visit the culture that you're depicting and think outside of the box with the cultures that you want to represent. Going back to something you said earlier <clears throat> about doing these 60 shorts, right. Uh, as a part of this program, now you're prepping um, for feature film. Yeah. And I come from the school of, you've got to make do with what you've got and get the story told. Right. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. However, for feature, you have to scale up, somewhat to make sure that you can get through what is a marathon compared to a sprint and doing a short. Mm -hmm. How are you finding, if you're experiencing this, how are you finding having to manage more of a budget and having to manage more moving parts from the mindset of like, well, we're just going to make do with what we've got. We can just go shoot this thing to like, no, now we've got to like actually use the resources that we do have, which are considerably more than what we've ever had to get this feature completed. Can you rephrase that question a little bit for me so I can answer it better? Um, yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you. Uh, how do I, how are we working with our budget? Is that what you mean? 
how are you someone who's come from like, let's just bootstrap and do it all ourselves, finding the scale difference between making a short, which you can make for $216, but you can't mm -hmm. make a, sh a feature for two, I mean, 2000, you know, whatever the, whatever the equivalent, um, multiplier is right. You, you got to have considerably more resources. How are you finding dealing with more resources now, even though it's still maybe like a limited amount of resources by comparison to some feature budgets? Okay. Yeah. So we set a list of priorities. Um, that's actually part of our meeting today is we're talking about what resources we currently have and what we're going to do to get more resources. Um, that's literally right after this, I'm going into a meeting for that. But um, to answer your question, we're, we made a list of priorities, things that like, no matter what we have, this comes first, we pay for this and everything else, we have to find a way to make it work. So for us, um, the number one on our list is having a good cinematographer. Number two on the list is having a good editor. And number three is marketing. So um, those three things, no matter what we do, no matter, no matter what else comes, those are top of our list in priority. And if we have to work everything else for free or for favors, then we're going to do that. But um, it's setting a list of priorities of what is the most important to us. That's great. That's really smart. Thank you. Um, what is your feature film about? Because I saw that you announced that you're in pre-production as of three days ago. Yeah. Uh, it's about, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the quick pitch? The quick pitch is uh, two rival Native American ghost hunters hunt a ghost on a white burial ground. I love this. So we're taking the narrative, this old school narrative of like all these horrors that are shot on Native American burial grounds. Yes. We're turning it on its head. Yes. That's fun. Yeah. What's, um, I'm sure that you've thought of this, but what's your goal with it? Well, um, our main goal after getting it made is to get it leased. Uh, we've talked about the difference between selling and leasing and we're not on board to sell a finished product quite yet, but we are on board for leasing until we can build up a following big enough so that when the time comes to sell, we can sell for a better number. Cause you know, we're all, we're all relatively no named on this. We may have yeah. done things. I've got like a few acting credits, but that doesn't make me a name. Yeah. And um, the goal is to get the traction, get the movement within Hollywood somehow of building up a following and recognition for this and then taking it from there. I, I almost feel like for our listeners who don't know, um, maybe we should talk about how all we got connected to you, Eagle. Yeah, uh, at the Sundance Producing Collab. That's right. And you had a- Yeah, uh, with Simon, Simon Tofik. Yeah, and did the feature script that you're working on now, is that the work that you submitted to get you into that program or did you have another project that- The other project that I submitted was actually the short film that I completed last year. Cool, congrats on completing the short. Yeah, that's great. Now, have you done other Sundance um, programs or was that your first and your only one so far? That is my first and only one so far. Unfortunately, I just don't have the resources to continue. I wanted to do 
the next level up of how to get funding for your feature. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, um, I feel like after doing the producing lab, I'm prepared, but there are still some missing pieces and that's the big missing pieces. How do you get money? That's That's the question on a lot of people's minds. (laughs) That's always, that's always the question. Um, I want to, I want to ask about the the producer's lab, but I also, for our listeners out there who have the same question, some of the things that we've come across just real quick on, on how to get money, which is something that Simon mentioned is he said, the difference between the social media platforms is Instagram is to connect filmmakers. Um, Twitter is to market your film and LinkedIn is where you find your financiers. He said, for whatever reason, that's where they are. And he's had some success in finding them there. But another way is to use your social media platforms and just outright ask ask people if they want to invest in you because they're looking. Um, I think that there's I think that there's a film finance website, and I'm gonna have to look look in on this of um film financiers that are actively looking for projects to fund. But I but but the wall of that is it's it's controlled by someone and you have to pay them a fee in order to enter the web the website and be connected to those people. Um, the other place, and this is just another wall, is go to film festivals. Mm-hmm. That's that's where a lot of I wouldn't say networking, because networking has kind of a slimy feel to it, but your community, like what you're really looking for is a community of, of filmmakers or film financiers that are looking for you, that are looking for projects that you have to fund because they want your story to be told because they have some connection to it. So finding that community, film, fest- film festivals are a really great way to, to do that. But back to the Sundance uh, producers thing that we all met on. What's something that you took away from that class that you're applying to your work now? Oh, the absolutely the business sides of it. And I, in a moment, I want to go back to the goal of the movie if I can. Um, But one of the biggest things that I'm taking that I took away is all of the business that goes into making a movie. Like I've hammered it into my, my partners that we need to establish an LLC and you know little things like that like that i learned along the way all of the particular businessy things sorry i don't sound eloquent right now so for anybody businessy businessy <laughs> sounds very elegant i i think I'm, so okay well thank you um that was my biggest takeaway was that you have to establish the llc for your film and from there were little other factoids like once your LLC is established, you establish a business bank account and then you can borrow against your business bank account depending on the owner's um, credit scores. So that's something that was in the talks for us as far as financing, because we want to do this on our own. If we invite other people into making this movie, they're going to want to do it their way. And we're already we already have goals for the point of the movie um, and we don't want someone else putting their hands on it and then saying, well, if, if, if we give you this much money, then we have to cast this person. And yeah. that was, that's outside of the goals for us. 
Real quick, speaking about business savvy and being businessy, I was watching this uh, video of this guy talking about what rich people do and how rich people borrow money and what was so fascinating about it. And I never knew this. Um, Angel, I think you already knew this because you're savvy in a lot of different finance ways. But he said, you can borrow against certain life insurance policies and it is the lowest interest rate out there. So if you have like a uh, hundred thousand life insurance, you can borrow against it and just slowly repay it back. Oh, wow. But it's a, it's a certain type of um, life insurance. I might do something like that personally. Yep. yep. <laughs> I might do something like that personally. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, but back to your saying about the goal of the film. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Um, I just realized I answered a question like a producer would answer it in a pr production meeting and I didn't answer it like an emerging filmmaker with a purpose. <laughs> um, so that being said, um, our biggest goal is what I had talked about where Hollywood wants to fantasize Native Americans. Our biggest goal is to take away from that fantasy and say, here we are. This is what we look like. This is what we do. This is what we sound like. And it's not all living on the reservation and doing dances. Um, so part of our main goal is to give opportunity to ourselves who have had very little opportunities and face brick walls on a daily basis and put ourselves in the roles that we want to play. So like my big thing is I've been acting since 1998 but I've only had four Hollywood, five Hollywood credits to my name. And that feels, it's not that it's unfair. I understand the business is a competitive one. But when I think of if somebody's been acting since 1998, they develop a certain level to their skill. And at some point it should just be a numbers game. And it is for most non-natives but it's not a numbers game for natives. It's a, how can you play into someone else's fantasy game for natives? It's kind of like fantasy native football almost. So our goal is to break that and see somebody who wants to direct a movie, direct a movie. Somebody who wants to have their movie premiere and get their WGA, um, what's the word there get their WGA their, card, their union. Yeah. Get to join the union because they had their movie premiere. We want to be able to do that. And we don't want someone to take it from us or amend it in any way. Those are all really great and worthwhile goals. So hats off to you for, for keeping it within your goal set and your vision. So it can't be corrupted. So well done. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's um, you spoke about the fantasy and the representation. And I have a, a friend of mine who belongs to the Ojibwe tribe. And he said, he's so tired of all of the stories of indigenous people being sad. He's like, there is more, there's more to our culture than just being a martyr. This is why people need to visit a reservation or visit the culture so that they can understand what it is that they're representing. Because if you go to a reservation, people got jokes. We're not a sad people. We are a joking all of the time kind of people. It was, and a lot of the jokes are dirty, 
but we're mostly comedians by nature, aside from being storytellers. So it's, that's one of the, that plays into one of the goals of our feature is that it is, it was, it started out as a, a horror film, but then we couldn't help ourselves being native. We had jokes. So it turned into a satire. It's more like Ghostbusters meets We Have a Ghost, which is on Netflix. Um, you should watch We Have a Ghost. It's a really great movie. Uh, but yeah, it's more of a satire. And uh, like I said, we just couldn't help ourselves. So uh, we want to take away from this narrative of like trauma, 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 because while trauma is embedded into our roots and our history, we have an a more enlightened view on life than what is being depicted in film and television. When you were working on the script for this feature, did you workshop it? Did you submit it to any place? Did you try to get any funding or was it just all in-house? It's just us. We're not at, seeking outside opinion. It was, we did workshop it a couple of times. We had two table reads. And we were open to notes from the table reads and from the table reads, um, we did make the script technically better, but the story was still there. Um, we didn't do, we didn't go down certain avenues. Like we didn't submit it to houses for um, professional input, basically because one of the things that we're, we would run into, and this is my opinion, I don't want to speak for my co-writer, but everybody wants to see natives a certain way because of how they've been conditioned to see natives so far. And we're not doing that. So I didn't want to hear, I don't want to hear from people, oh, it's not native enough. We don't have, you know, this much native culture needs to be depicted for us to know they're native. No, you're missing the point of the feature then. So um, we focused on in-house and we did a few table reads where we got great input and we've so far made um, the changes based off of that input that in my opinion have made the script now ready for production. Speaking of promoting and, and marketing and funding, I just realized we're a platform that you can ask people to help fund your your feature film. So is there a website link or do you want to like plug in your email address? Yeah, keep in touch with me on Twitter. Follow me at Eagle Eye Pizza on Twitter. Um, I'm going to be, we're going to be promoting uh, once we establish the necessary uh, business parts of it that we need to establish. Uh, we're going to start a fundraising campaign to see if we can double the capital that we've already gained. Um, we want to at least double, if not triple, what we've gotten. Um, but yeah, there will be a fundraising campaign. We just have not started it yet. Uh, but once we have our ducks in a row, I'm going to be it's going to be on my social media page and we're going to have a few social media pages for the feature film that it will, that will also have a lot of links attached to it. That's great. How much are you looking to raise? Well, <clears throat> right now we have 50,000 to start and we're hoping to have 150,000 
for a good cushion and to make sure that we're doing this as right as we can. Yeah. Uh, but 150,000 is not that much. And I keep telling myself in an ideal world, we'd have a million to $2 million to make this more right. Yeah. But working with what you have, we're hoping that if we can get 150,000, we can do this as right as possible and really make something that comes from blood, sweat and tears, which, you know, maybe we'll be more proud of the work that we get out of that than if we had more money. But we're hoping 150,000 to meet that goal. Um, the next one, the next one, you'll get a million. The, the next one, we we already have an idea for a sequel in mind, just because the story is that much that we believe in it. And talk about for our audience that doesn't know how to release a film, what is that and how do you go about doing that? Um, as far as I remember from the Sundance collab, you can go to the American film market and you want to get a sales agent. So that's going to be part of the process is getting a sales agent attached, paying upfront costs for the marketing materials that they need and letting them do their work in selling the, selling the film. Um, but it's going to be the difference between, for example, my friend uh, just, he, he made a movie and leased that film on Netflix for 15 years versus selling the movie so he still owns the movie and owns the rights to it and is making a sequel, which he has the right to do because it wasn't taken from him from selling the movie. Once you sell the movie, it's in someone else's hands. Someone else owns all of it. I but remember. When, sorry. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. But when you lease it, you're the owner. You're still the owner of the movie and people are paying you rent to put your movie up on their platform. That's something that that Simon, I remember Simon going into detail about the guy who had his film for rent on Amazon, I think it was, was the example. And then he ended up later selling it and he made less when he sold it. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, something else out there that Miranda Bailey, a friend of mine, she runs Cold Iron Pictures. They do film arcade and they have different brackets of helping young um, emerging filmmakers and what they do is like you pay them $5,000 and they do marketing, but they also secure, I believe that they secure theaters. So if you're an emerging filmmaker and your goal is to get into the Oscars, then securing theaters is something that you have to do because you have to premiere your film for so long at so many theaters. Mm. So there's so many different ways for you to go about marketing and plugging and making your movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um it's a beast. But on the positive side of that, I'm glad that there are so many ways to do this. There's not one rough cut edge of the process that everybody has to follow. If we didn't have multiple ways of getting it done, I think we'd run into many more brick walls than are already there. I want to ask about your thought process on your next projects and i know you're in pre-production on a feature your first feature correct yeah so maybe your thought process and isn't even on your next projects because this is going to be so consuming for so long but what are if any your thoughts about the next stories you want to tell and are they contingent on this process that you're about to embark on 
And that's where we're going to end this week's episode. If you want to hear Eagle's answer, check out next week's episode where we talk about her next project and a whole host of other things. From both Lee and myself, thanks for listening. Cheers from Hollywood. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time.